You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. If you're an online shopper, you have to try Be Frugal. Be Frugal lets you earn cash back from over 5,000 stores, including Amazon, Walmart, Target, Macy's, and more. Simply find the online store, click the link on BeFrugal.com to activate cash back and complete your purchase. You'll earn the highest cash back rates guaranteed up to 40%. Then you get cash back earnings via PayPal, direct deposit, gift card, or check. Visit BeFrugal.com slash crime and get a $10 bonus when you join for free. Check out Wild Fang, a feminist fashion brand that's here to take down the patriarchy and is committed what? to giving back. White Fang is female founded and women run, offering gender smashing styles that borrow from the boys. A percentage of every purchase at wildfang.com goes to charity and they raise hundreds of thousands of dollars each year to fight, fight for your, your rights. rights. Go to wildfang.com and use crime for 25% off. That's W-I-L-D-F as in Frank. ANG.com and use code CRIME. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On, the podcast about serial, true crime, pop culture. And this week, we say sayonara to another season of Serial. We'll give our final thoughts on Sarah Koenig's ambitious attempt to explore the justice system by spending a year, sort of, in a courthouse. Then, the first of what are sure to be many major podcast TV adaptations is streaming right now. We'll review Amazon's stylized take on Gimlet Media's Homecoming. Joining me to get that done and a few things more done is my real-life husband and true crime co-author, former TV journalist, Kevin Flynn. Hey, babe, how you doing? Konnichiwa, Rebecca. <laughs> okay. <Whoa. laughs> also with Are us- you trying to be romantic or something? Is there? journalist, true crime author, former defense investigator, licensed private investigator, and certified cat rescuer- Lara Bricker. Hello, Lara. Yeah, that's me. I uh, I captured another cat, another wayward cat, and um, it was quite dramatic. So I'm going to ask you a follow-up question about that in just a minute. But first, I want to introduce our own captain of woke cynicism, the author behind the noir novels known as a City Trilogy and our Patreon book club host, the guy with whom I'll be fighting about whether or not Homecoming is a good TV show or not, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Oh, God. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> it's starting already. <laughs> so, Laura Bricker, uh, my understanding is that you skipped church this week Uh to rescue a cat. How does Pastor Emily feel about that? Um, Well, I got support from Pastor Emily's spouse, Pastor Heidi, so um, I think that I'm in the clear. So we've had this little female cat that's been showing up in our neighborhood since June. And um, I've seen it, more, you know, more regularly as it's getting cold. And last week I saw it. Ken goes, where's that cat going? And I'm like, I am on it. And I Ken's went like, out. Great. I had, Please don't get on it and bring it into our house. <laughs> no, I, I know. He's like, no, it's not staying. So I went out and I had managed to get close enough. And I had taken a sheet with me. So I grabbed it kind of by the neck like the little mommy cat does. And then I wrapped it up in the sheet like a burrito and stuffed it in the cat carrier. Wow. Well, like I was never going to get that cat in a carrier. Yeah. I mean, it's been out there for months. You know, a lot so. of people, if they just seen a cat out there for months, would just continue seeing that cat out there for months. But you, Laura Bricker. <laughs> oh, it's Laura Bricker. Felt compelled <laughs> to do right by the cat. You were, well, you were emboldened. You were inspired. Well, 
snow is coming, Rebecca. And I was like, you know what? This It's getting cold. That poor cat's out there. Like I was like, desperate times. I got to get that cat. Yeah. Toby, thoughts? So. I've got two thoughts. One is, how do you know that these cats aren't people's cats <laughs> that just happen to wander around? <laughs> Catnapping. <laughs> Well, I will tell you that when Stephen King, the cat, was here, I went door to door, up and down both sides of my road. Canvassing. And Uh, I know who everybody else's cats are. So it's it's not somebody's cat. (laughs) And my other question is, so are these two pastors who married each other? Or if you marry a pastor, then do you become a pastor as well? Oh, that's a great question, actually. (laughs) That is a good question. They are two pastors that married each other. They had a lot in common. Is that the Reverend and Similar interests. We refer to them, I refer to them just as the Revs, Mm -hmm. because it's kind of like easier. Just, Mm -hmm. oh, the Revs, you know, the Revs. And everybody knows who they are when you say that. I think Pastor Emily and Pastor Heidi should be like our new Facebook group slash Insta stars. I yeah, mean, but, they, love, they love true crime, right? But you right? know what would be a great series on Amazon Prime? What's that? Uh, the Reds? Pastor Emily and Rabbi Heidi. <laughs> <laughs> no. Right? Like, wouldn't that be great? Well, but she, but Heidi is Rev, but Heidi is, does a lot of multicultural, you know, preaching because she works at a private school that has all sorts of different religions, so... Mm-hmm. Good for them. Sometimes she is sort of like rabbi, but they do have a, a rabbi there, so she doesn't fill that role. Wow. Well, I'm sure our audience that tune in to hear us talk about a lot of true crime stuff is super excited yeah, to hear wow, about yeah. that. I know yeah, I yeah. found it interesting, though. <laughs> and guys, if you don't like that kind of stuff, I hate to break it to you. Listening to the wrong damn podcast. Yeah. Wait till the yeah. holiday season comes and we start talking about Laura's baking recipes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. The Bon Appetit Christmas cookbook is coming out, people. <laughs> Wait till Toby's daughter gets into another play. We talk about that <laughs> for like four weeks. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, let's do what we're being uh, paid to do for at least one more week, shall we? Yep. From This American Life and WBEZ Chicago, it's Serial. One courthouse told week by week. I'm Sarah Koenig. On the season finale of Serial, Sarah follows Joshua through youth detention, county jail, and the state prison as the county revokes his juvenile sentence. The 19-year-old is at ease with the bad deal he's made, even if Sarah is not. In county jail, Joshua was bored. Sometimes he'd be cooped in his cell. They all would be, for nearly 24 hours straight. But what I noticed was that Joshua, he wasn't raging. He wasn't getting in fights. Uh, you, you know, you, you sound like, you sound pretty good. Better than Indian River, it's a stress reliever. Like, for, for this, this is the bad situation up here, but it's still better than Indian River to me. Like, it's a stress reliever. Is it? In Serial Season 3's final act, Sarah Canning attempts to tie together all of the themes touched on this season, overcharging, racial inequity, police misconduct, and the indifference to improving the system. Now, Kevin, a quick detail that you pointed out to me, you made me look because you wrote the question, the artwork on Serial's website it is so trippy. What is the deal it's with great. that? It's <laughs> great. Have either of you gone to the webpage to see? The, I mean, they, they plug it at the end of no, every episode. I, I am now. Actually. Yeah. Okay. Basically, it just it's one. Sh- somebody does a uh, mural in a location or something that's that's uh, evocative of that episode, and it's like this three D. Uh, mural and like this like motion thing. It's just it's really cool. It's oh, zoomy. Yeah. It's trippy. It's yeah. kind of cool. Yeah, it is cool. Yeah. Okay. And remember remember the artwork oh. from season oh, two. Oh my goodness. Yes. It's like three yeah. D. Like it's almost like virtual reality. 
Yeah, it's really cool. Just take a look at it. Oh, it's making me dizzy. I can't look. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I will say, as somebody, I mean, it's my job at my day job to do those kinds of things, Mm -hmm. to like resource and do digital work to go Mm -hmm. with podcasts. That came in super handy for me this week when there was a break in the Bear Brook case and Jason Moon, you and I were convinced that the victim was killed by the same dude and Jason's like, just look at the timeline that you made me make, Rebecca. Like it's, it's not, it doesn't fit. And I'm like, well, that's right. We made a timeline. It is like difficult when you're doing podcasts. You try to think of these other projects to do. So I, I never even thought to look at it before, even though they kept telling me to. So are you saying to our listeners, Kevin, they should go look at the artwork for the season? I think it's worth taking a minute and going to uh, serialpodcast.org. Even if they were underwhelmed by the content, they should look at the art. Look at it. It's just it's nine different things. It'll take you 10 minutes. You'll be like, oh, that was great. All right. Well, I want to um, get back to the episode. This is episode nine, which I think is a very strange number of episodes for a season of a of anything. But that being said, uh, we hear that Sarah Koenig has been talking to Joshua, who we met just last week in episode eight, for a year and a half Every day, sometimes twice a day. My question for you, panel, I want to know if any of you are wondering what I was wondering, which is, why the hell wasn't his story all of season three? Laura, did you have that question as well? I did, yes. As I was listening, you know, the last two episodes, I was like, okay, so the last two episodes, we finally got into it this season. Why didn't we have more of this? Because clearly this was a case that illustrated pretty much everything that's wrong with the justice system right now. And... It was very compelling. It was infuriating. It was rage-inducing. And, like, it just got stuffed in at the end. Like, why? Yeah. Toby, were you surprised to hear that Sarah had had so much contact with Joshua over the last couple of years? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I I don't know if, if they didn't think that they had enough there to, like, sustain, you know, nine or ten episodes. Uh, if there weren't enough, like, kind of twists and turns in this story to to keep it going. So, you know, the one thing I'd thought about with that, we also just did, uh, we discussed homicide on balls, deep dive. And in homicide, the book, they, they have a string of this one case that kind of continues on and kind of holds the whole book together. It's kind of like the spine of the book. And I thought there might've been an opportunity to use this case in the same way, Mm. uh, which would have given a little more continuity to the whole the whole season, uh, and I'm sure they thought of that, and I, I think there were probably reasons not to do it. It may have just sort of drawn it out and been hard to follow. But yeah, I mean, it, 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 I think it was the strongest portion of it, and the fact that she was in touch with him all that time, and he clearly, you know, is very open with her and has come to rely on her. You know, it seems like the opportunity might have been there. I think that the staff at Serial has demonstrated that they are willing to talk to people on the phone for a long time, right. over many months, between S-Town... And pay for a lot of phone calls. Pay for a lot of jail. phone calls. I, I understand why people thought, uh, well, this could have been the whole season. And I'm like, it's not 12 episodes. No. His life... That's why it isn't the whole but season. But it was 12 episodes anyway, so... No, but I'm saying, <laughs> this is... His story is about a two-episode story. The idea that, like, Sarah Koenig is going to do a whole ep- season of Serial about talking to a guy in prison. It's like, you've done that. 
and you did it better than anybody else, and you're not going to do better than well, that. And it just it, it would just yeah. seem so derivative. It's like right. I'm surprised she even took called anybody because it just ends up being derivative of a masterwork that you'll never match. Well, there's nothing here to investigate about Josh's case. The this facts are what they are. But the story, and I actually really agree with Toby here. I was thinking the same thing: is that we started. I think the show started a good place, which was with that you know mm-hmm. regular white lady who got into a bar fight and just like showing what happened. I think episode two, like introducing Joshua in episode two and like having him be like half of an episode every other episode in this series and then having the last two episodes be sort of build outs on that around Mm -hmm. where he was living in this would have been very powerful. I thought they were going to do that the whole time and they just never did. It never happened. Yeah. Yeah. The threads were the yeah. threads were all like it was like a sweater that we watched somebody making and then the sleeve was never attached to the body of the sweater because these last yeah. two episodes a lot of material and a lot of fodder and a lot of connections to other things. And I do think even introducing Joshua as an ancillary character earlier on would have been really helpful for the structuring of the story. Let's talk about um, the fact that, you know, one of the things that we learn about Joshua, we hear all last week about his life in the juvenile detention system and what a super shithole experience it is for him and how many assaults he's been subject to at the um, basically with the permission and sometimes at the behest of the guards. And now, you know, this episode, episode nine begins with Sarah learning he's basically being bound over to adult prison where apparently, comparatively, it's awesome because there's so much more structure. That's surprising. I wouldn't say it's awesome. Well, it's but more I think awesome. I get what you're saying. I, I they don't have mean a that pool literally. table, Kevin. Ah. <laughs> and the Aryan uh, guys, the Nazis, are amazing. Apparently, they're super cool. <laughs> uh, Helpful. <laughs> super. He's fine with them. Uh, but Laura, what did you think of this idea that this adult prison? Of course, he's also in the in the unit where they're being kept from the general population. Mm. But yeah. That it's so much better, he's able to relax, that everything's more chill. Did that surprise you? Yeah, it did, actually. And I think, again, I, I'll go back to what I said last week, which is I feel like this this season really could have focused a lot more on the juvenile justice system because, I mean, here, if, if it's really that different in a juvenile detention facility versus an adult facility, that's an issue. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's, that does not bode well for what we're doing right now in terms of trying to, you know, rehabilitate kids before they get to the point where they're in the adult system, um, if it's actually nicer there. Um, so it was it was interesting to hear. I mean, it sounded like, you know, you, you hear his his safety was in jeopardy when he was in juvie. And then he gets up there. No problems at all. So, Toby, what did you think of this counterintuitive idea that Joshua was safer in the adult prison when we keep hearing that, like, there's been this big effort made to keep him from there? And then when he gets there, there seems to be so much more safety. Well, it seems like there's a bunch of things going on, which one of which is that he's in that sort of segregated unit so that he's not, you know, the general population. And so I don't know if it would be different if that was the case. And and then when they talk about the people who are in that unit, you know, it's like former cops and stuff. Mm. So and, you know, white supremacist. Uh, yeah, but they were fine. They were cool. <laughs> yeah. But, but what he it. said was, know, you know, crazy. he felt safer because it, it was it was much stricter. I mean, the other thing is about I mean, the whole juvenile thing. It's like a combination of high school and prison and mm. that you've got like high school age kids who are just, you know, high, I mean, that just sounds awful to begin with. And then it sounds like, you know, they basically ran the prison that the, the guards, you know, were not necessarily in charge. It, it makes sense. Like when you when you finally find out about it, 
And it just, I guess, goes to show how bad his situation was mm. in the juvenile prison, which, you know, I, it, it doesn't seem like it could be. I mean, it just seems like a horrible movie, right? Yeah. It's yeah. just... You know what I kept thinking of, Toby? I kept thinking of, um, you know, we hear these stories a lot about, you know, poorly behaving high school teachers and college professors. And I kept thinking of, you know, when you work, it's almost like the, that the guards in the juvenile facility, there's this weird thing when you're working with young people where you want to, like, ingratiate yourselves with them in a way, like reliving your whole, your own, like... Mm-hmm. Am I going to be one of the cool kids high school experience? Like, you know, we even have this and I was like, when like, one of our teenage kids has friends over, like you want to be like, hey, like I'm the cool parent. But also like <laughs> this is your job and you're actually charged with protecting them. And you wonder like how much of these dynamics, like the getting the pizza for the kids, the being involved in their drama, the sort of like getting involved in their battles between one another is almost like a weird immaturity that just kind of comes from that kind of environment poorly paid people who are being given basically an impossible job you know to keep kids in line and like whether or not they think the way to keep them in line is to like kind of be on their level in a way and it ends up being so much more harmful the same way in a high school situation it's so much more harmful if a teacher were to be like hey come to my house for a party this weekend kids like it's harmful right yeah, yeah. right although i think even in the classroom like having taught high school were you the cool teacher, Toby? I have the foggiest idea. Um, <laughs> no. His kids ran from court. The so. answer is no. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, but I think there is, you know, in that situation where you've got 30 kids, you know, I was teaching classes with, with kids who weren't necessarily um, really academically inclined, I guess. Uh-huh. And so part of trying to keep kind of a calm classroom was getting the sort of social leaders on your side yeah. to to a certain extent. Totally. You know, that that might play a part of it too. But then if those social leaders are actually leaders of gangs, that's a different story. Right. Right. Now Kevin, the COs do have a responsibility to document all of Joshua's infractions. And that comes into play when we hear he's being, you know, right. yep. sent to that hearing where yeah, he's going to go to prison. Of all those things, right. Do they have an obligation to include in the same reports times when he was victimized and be the ones to pass judgment on what is a mitigating factor and what wasn't? Like, do you think that they purposely compiled? We hear Sarah Koenig talk about how she looked at the incident reports versus right. the, the, the submission to the court. The submission and how only those, included the things that he did and none right. of the things that she cross-referenced. What do you think? Because they obviously um, wanted to get him out of there. I, the, I think the answer is no and yes. Mm. Uh, do they have an obligation no, they don't need to because what they're talking about, or they don't, because it's about his infractions, the things that he is responsible for. And so whether or not he was justified or he was provoked, you know, that doesn't come to play anywhere else. So as far as, you know, this is a, basically an administrative review, right. the way you look at it. No, they don't have to provide the other context. Should they? I think so. I, at the very least, I think that somebody has to make some sort of judgment. Right. I don't think it's the guards, but I think that somebody should be looking at that and arguing and to say, look, at least for these fra- infractions here, yeah, he got into a fight with this guy, but the guy jumped him the day before. Right. Now you could say, well, he shouldn't have jumped him the second day, but there ought to be somebody looking a little deeper at it. The way things are set up, there isn't anybody doing that. I thought that, you know, we hear the woman we heard from an earlier episode, um, his mentor who ran the program, who really saw him as somebody who had grown Mm -hmm. and could Mm -hmm. be really rehabilitated. I thought her take on how he was treated 
was really moving. When he was the hothead, arrogant asshole that Judge Sweeney met at first, that I met at first, mm -hmm. there's no doubt in my mind that that's when the conversation should have been had. The conversation of should we bind him over? Yes. Like, absolutely, because he's becoming a threat to the facility. And he was a child that I thought, could he be rehabilitated? Oh, so you even had a question at the beginning? I had a complete question and didn't think that he could. Ms. Turner said the only fight they had in Freedom School, inside the facility, only one, Joshua. His first week in the program, he stood up on a chair and spit on somebody. <laughs> like, I mean, just outrageous. Even in conversations with him after that, it was this arrogance to him. It was this haughtiness. Um, and that literally doesn't exist in him anymore. But, Toby, one of the other things that we heard Sarah Koenig weigh here when she sort of talks about, like, the looking at the whole picture of Josh in the juvenile system is that, uh, you know, one of the things that was listed or wasn't listed was the good and bad of gangs. And did you find yourself <laughs> thinking, like, what's the good of gangs, Sarah Koenig? <laughs> yeah, I, I actually wrote that down. I was like, <laughs> what is she talking about? How did this get by the editor? <laughs> I felt exactly the same way. I was sort of wondering, was there like a whole chapter here that we didn't get about the upside? Or just like, can you expand on that just like a little bit so we have <laughs> some clue? But yeah, that pricked my ears up. <laughs> I'm glad mm -hmm. you know I wasn't alone in that. So one of the things that we hear Sarah Koenig talk about is that, you know, she's been talking to Joshua, as we as we mentioned, for a year and a half, every day, sometimes twice a day. Sometimes they have a lot of contact. And they had developed a relationship, which is very normal and very natural. And she starts doing favors for him that reporters aren't necessarily, quote, supposed to do. One of which is to initiate these three-way phone calls. And we hear some of that tape yeah. between her and his family members. And they said it was okay. We also know that Serial, the production, got in trouble for broadcasting phone calls that Sarah Koenig taped from another uh, detention facility. I was really surprised to hear this particular audio in the podcast. Ethics aside, the rules around it and, and their willingness to sort of cross those lines surprised me. What about you, Laura? Were you surprised to hear that? I was I was very surprised because this is something that comes up a lot. And this is something that used to come up a lot when I was working as a defense investigator. And it was a big no-no because you would have a client ask you to do something like this. And in some cases, it would end up violating some sort of restraining order if, you know, oh. or something, somebody they weren't supposed to be talking to if you did a three-way call. And it is a really big no-no. And I'm pretty sure that the prison system doesn't allow these type of phone calls to sort of circumvent their system. Right. So I, I kind of felt like Sarah was definitely... Um, she was she was becoming extremely sympathetic to Josh because she was talking to him so often and she had formed this relationship with him. And I'd be curious to see if there's any fallout now, now that this is out there publicly as a result of this podcast, because, you know, the family members were OK with it. But I don't know if the prison system is OK. My take on the like the journalism side of it is that. I do think, and Sarah Koenig has talked about this before when she was like doing her speaking tour around, you know, there's a whole like the objectivity thing that you're supposed to do when you're actual reporting versus, you know, I mean, people confuse the words reporting with like what they hear, but like in the objectivity part and the product you get is supposed to be there. And she kind of calls bullshit on the fact that reporters are actually supposed to be objective in, the, in their actual reporting where they're dealing with subjects and they're really immersed in stories. 
personally, I wasn't surprised or even offended or upset that she would do favors for a subject that she had talked to every day for a year and a half. I mean, she's not, you know, trying to influence his legal case. She's not testifying on his behalf. She's not inserting herself in the story. Like when I interviewed a subject for our book in prison, I went to visit him numerous times. I bought him a lot of hamburgers. You know, I did other favors for him in terms of talking to people in town about how he was doing. I didn't include that in the book. And that's the difference is that Sarah chooses to include that and the favors part and that line crossing in the product we hear. Kevin, isn't that what sets her apart in terms of this kind of storytelling? That's really where Serial Season 1 broke ground, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Certainly the look at the process is something Serial is known for, that Sarah is very good at. Could she have just done these things because she wanted to and and just sort of like never report it and not talk about it and, and kind of hide it? She could have. But I think one of the reasons why it was relevant and that she kept it is because she was able to record the three-way phone call, right. which is a way of the only way that she would be able to get the interaction between Joshua and his grandfather. For everything else that you got out of Serial around, aside from Adan, you're not going to get any of that from Joshua except this way. Right. So I think as long as, you know, they all kind of knew what the what the story was. Now, I don't know if this was, that means that she wasn't being altruistic when she first offered. Mm. I'm kind of like, no, I don't know if I would have done that. Right. Well, I did have a friendly... I decided if it was going to be set up like, hey, I'll do this if we... You know, that was the ground rule. I'll only do this if I can record it. Yeah. Then that's a whole sort of other transaction, but just sort of like, I'm going to be really nice and continue to do this. I don't know. Well, the the Sarah is Sarah Koenig crossing lines debate continues online. I had mm-hmm. a friendly uh, Twitter direct message, private debate with a beloved listener, a male listener that we all know, who I'm not going to name. Because he says, by the way, if you're going to say I'm a sexist pig, just call me a listener. <laughs> it's not Ken Kratz. Sweaty. I love how Catherine, <laughs> Kathleen uh, Zellner just calls him Sweaty now. <laughs> she doesn't even use his name. She's like, Sweaty was tweeting again. And I'm like, yeah, Sweaty. <laughs> so I'm just going to like read this interaction and then I just want you just to react to it. Um, so first he wrote to me and he said, OMG, if Sarah Koenig were a teacher, she'd definitely be the one who wound up sleeping with the students. I wrote, I wrote, I don't think that's fair. He wrote, she comes across to me as Gaga over Joshua. I don't think she was Gaga over Adnan Syed. She was surely charmed. Maybe it's the difference between having a feature style reporter versus a straight news reporter. Feels like Amber, for example, I think he's referring to Amber Hunt, would not do or say a lot of what SK does and says. Yada, yada. I said, I just said, I don't agree. Uh, And then he points to a bit that made him roll his eyes um, right after we hear Joshua's mother. So I'm just going to play that right now real quick. Joshua knew I was recording these calls. Occasionally we'd discuss the content afterwards, debrief about his relationships. He's open like that, strikingly so. And he knew I was rooting for him. And so sometimes he'd call me just to call me. (laughs) That's too much. I'm recording. I don't know why. In case you have something fascinating to tell me. I do got something fascinating to tell you. What? I uh, got my TV. What? Yeah. <laughs> no way, really? Then he says, it sounds like teenagers flirting, and yes, I would totally say the same thing if the genders were reversed. I wrote back, I'm going to be honest with you, I didn't hear it. 
And I do believe that men hear or listen for flirting in a way that women do not. It's a male gaze thing. And he said, I'm sure that it's true. And if you're going to call me a sexist pig, please just call me a listener. Thanks, Ken. (laughs) So thoughts. I mean, do you think there were lines crossed here with Joshua and Sarah? Toby, what do you think? Uh, I don't think there were lines crossed. You know, she's got a she's got a a manner Mm -hmm. about her and that might strike some people that way. She's pretty upfront with who she sympathizes with and sort of personally likes. But I think the actual flirtation, I didn't I didn't catch that. You know, she's kind of a light hand, I guess. Mm-hmm. Is that yeah. is that fair to say? So two things. I mean, one is this is the way that she is in her style. If you had Mike Wallace doing the same interview, would he have, you know, pulled out different things perhaps? Would other things not have come out perhaps? Would it be as entertaining? It would be very, it would be very different. Uh, she has one way of doing it, and you could have 10 other journalists calling and making those phone calls, and the results would be the same. The question is, you know, when you squeeze this fruit, do you want the juice or do you want the pulp? Yeah. And so it's one way of doing it. If you don't care for the way she did it, you know, that's one thing. I don't think she crossed a line. But, I don't think so either. But also the second thing is that we have said from the beginning that Serial is Sarah's story that she is the protagonist. It's not Joshua and it's not Judge Galls and the other people. It's always her discovery of these things. And so that's what we get from her. And so while, you know, we might say, I don't get why she said that in the elevator and why she's, you know, revealing all this stuff with, you know, her her talking with the crazy cop or the suspect from a, a, a drug case. You know, that's who she is, and that's kind of what makes Serial different. Amber Hunt would do it one way, and, and Madeline Barron would do it a completely different way, and Bill Rankin would do it, uh, you know, a, a third way. And so that's just sort of, you know, the flavor of this meal. Sarah has a commitment to, I mean, the stories are good when those relationships are there. And we know that because we hear that she was doing her writing for the tracking of the episode. And just 10 minutes before she was writing that sentence, had to take a break because she got a phone call. A lot of reporters wouldn't take that phone call once they were done with the story. And she's obviously like that kind of reporter who's committed to sort of continuing to report and continuing to maintain the relationships with sources, which, by the way, is a, a genuineness to that. And I, I yeah. work in a newsroom where this is exactly how every reporter I work with operates. They take phone calls. You know, we're talking about Bear Brook earlier. There was a, a little bit of a story related to the Bear Brook today. So Jason Moon fielded like 20 unrelated phone calls from sources he had talked to for the podcast that He's not going to talk to you for the podcast again, but who just wanted someone to talk to about what happened and was like, hey, and he took every single one of those phone calls and had a long conversation with every single one of those people because he's he's not the kind of like ditch, you know, it's over, I'm ditching you kind of reporter. Mm -hmm. A lot of like reporters are, are this way. And I really think a very telling moment was when we hear her tell him like, is it a lot to ask? I don't know exactly what she says for you just not to hang out with fucking criminals anymore yeah. like that's all i want for you <laughs> that was a really yeah. great moment laura what did you think about that it was it was and it was just uh, but it was so indicative of about what this whole story is about because you know he's now he's stuck in the cycle and that's uh, sadly 
you know, you hope he's going to go back to something different, but it's he's probably not right. from from what it sounds like. So you can understand her frustration because she's invested in him now and she's invested in his outcome. And it's hard because you want to you want to help him. Uh, you know, I think she definitely wants to see him change his course. Yeah. Laura, what did you think to hear that uh, one of Joshua's cell block mates was the same <laughs> cop we met in an earlier episode who beat up Jesse Nickerson? From episode what? six of Serial. Was that not nuts? I know. I, I, I couldn't believe that when I heard that. And I was, and he's like, you know, kind of took him under his wing and everything. And I'm like, are you kidding? I mean, like, talk about worlds collide. Um, but I was a little dismayed when then they, inter- Sarah interviewed him and he was just like, you know, basically, even though he had taken him under his wing, didn't have a lot of hope for him actually doing something positive with his life, which was a little sad. I was disappointed she didn't ask him anything about that <laughs> case or the cops harassing that guy. Now, even if he decided not to, I, I, she could have at least told us that she asked and it wasn't answered. I just yeah. felt like... Yeah. Wow, what a whiff. That's why I believe that this, I really believe it, that this final product we got is substantially different from something that was planned along the way. It sounds that way to me. It feels that way to me. And when you get that character of that of that cop that we hear about earlier and like she has him on the phone, that that isn't part of that or that, or that some of that interview wouldn't have been in the episode in which we're actually talking about the Jesse Nickerson case. I mean, this happened over a protracted period of time. Like we, had, she had that phone call with him like a year ago. So I feel like. Then why do you think it changed at the last minute? I don't know. If it was from a year ago, I would love. Did you to, see the no, artwork? Did you see I the three D artwork? I don't think it changed in the last minute. I think that, that there were decisions I, made a while back that substantially altered what could have. I'm not saying like that that they didn't do the reporting. I'm saying. The same reporting could have resulted in a very different show and a very different podcast. Toby, it sounds like you have something to say about that. Well, I was just going to say, I think this is the first podcast that I've listened to where I'd really like to sit down with the producer or, or whoever's making the decisions and just talk to them for like an hour just to find out what the thought process was behind different things. Not not in that I'd be like... You know, I I have my criticisms and stuff, but I just I'm just like you know legitimately interested to hear like how they weigh different factors and and what what caused them to use certain stories and not other stories and what they thought the impact of the totality of the series like what they thought they were building up to mm. there. To me, it just seemed like there were these different tracks that just kind of didn't end up going anywhere right. or or just sort of abandoned. And, you know, the most obvious one was where, you know, after they beat up that guy who had pot in his pocket and then, you know, they tease the next episode, then nothing ever happens. Right. You know, you never hear again about this cop beating somebody up on camera. I agree. It's very strange. And it's very strange that there would be so much and they would do such a short season. It's like if you're going to yeah. try to do everything, do a 20 yeah. episode season. Can we talk about the cliffhangers yeah. for a second? Sure. Brought up? I was... In the end, really disappointed in the way they used those. Yeah. Because none of them paid off. You know, no, it was no. a super flop. And this time, you know, it was, I mean, at least twice we get the payoff is, no, it doesn't matter. <laughs> right? It was like, oh, I'm going to go to the hearing tomorrow. And that was the, this this week's cliffhanger coming into this one. It was like, oh, they just scheduled something. It was like, well, what the fuck? <laughs> How <laughs> was that a cliffhanger? <laughs> and you think about the guy in the closet and the, and the lawyer was like, no, that's not important. How about this other thing? Like, what? I mean, that's just 
that's just like really lame. Yeah. Well, I, I just want to get, you know, I want to wrap up this conversation because I think there's a lot of meat here. But like at the end, there are a couple of big thesis statements that Sarah makes. And I want to address both of them. Uh, the first one is that she she sort of repeats the statement at the beginning of the season and uh, why they didn't choose to follow a, the usual true crime tropes of uh, police and prosecutorial misconduct. She basically says, Reporters often hear that we only report the bad stories. We exaggerate and sensationalize, especially when it comes to law enforcement or wonky prosecutions. But we didn't go to Cleveland and sift through hundreds of cases looking for the most egregious injustices we could find. We didn't have to. The ordinary ones told us everything we needed to know. Toby, what did you think about that? I mean, these stories weren't chosen randomly, right? I mean, they do—they weren't they didn't just like spin a wheel and say, "Oh, let's pick the tape we got on this day." I again, this would be like another one of the things that I would <laughs> like to have a discussion with with somebody who's making the decisions about, which is. Yeah, I mean, there were there are definitely criteria, and I I think the criteria were probably, you know, either how interesting was the case, or you know, how interesting is the person or people who are involved in the case, who, who if we get a chance to talk to them, she basically says we didn't make our decision this way without sort of enlightening us on how she did make decisions. Right. So I, I thought that was a little frustrating. Although I get what her point is, which is like, look. These aren't the six worst stories we ran into. These are just six stories. Right. Which is, you know, that's legitimate. Anybody else besides me surprised to learn that um, if they wanted a soothing TV station at the courthouse, they chose the <laughs> cooking channel over HGTV? <laughs> no, there's yes. like, uh, you know, saws and hammers and things. No, I'm there. sorry. Every, every place no. I go where there's an office, like a doctor's office, it's always HGTV. Always. Yeah. Right, Laura? Yeah, it is. It's on in my house. Like all, when I'm here on the weekend and I'm just like puttering around the house and doing stuff, that's always on in the that's background. Right. It's hypnotic. It's, like, it's kind of cathartic. It totally um, is. Well, the the final point that I wanted to talk about was I'm helping my son write college essays right now. And man, was there like a little college essay bit at the end where she talks about leaving suggestions in the suggestion box for Cleveland's criminal justice system. After hanging around this building for a year, I have many suggestions just off the top of my head. I'd say go minimalist. Don't pile six charges onto a single crime when one charge will do. Don't overcharge to force a guilty plea. Don't lock anyone up unless they're demonstrably violent. Admit that police officers lie under oath. Get out of the punishment business and turn toward the urgent problem of fairness. Keep obsessive track of who exactly is being charged with... Isn't a podcaster giving suggestions for major overhaul of America's criminal justice system about as useful as actually leaving suggestions in a suggestion yes. box at your office? Yeah, when you hear the this, this setup about, I would like to put all these things in a suggestion box, and we all have suggestion boxes at work and places, and we know it's fucking bullshit, right? <laughs> You're gonna, someone's going to pull out a little piece of paper and go, uh, and right, and if she'd stuffed all that thing in there, like so it would make you feel good, and someone would read it, but obviously it's not going to fix anything. However, what, the rest, we as, as listeners kind of go along and say, yeah, well, the yeah. next podcast is going to fix all this stuff. And it's not. Guess it's, what? Judge Galt was still reelected. Yeah, it's still the, <laughs> it's still kind of the same thing. Yeah. You know, listening to a podcast is the same as stuffing a suggestion box. Well, listening to a podcast like this. That isn't the thing that's going to fix something. Let's talk about, I mean, that I think is the differentiator between this podcast, which I guess chose the path of shedding light 
And in the dark, season two, where the reporting and the work they did is actually changing what is happening in the case mm-hmm. and in a ultimately case, maybe not a, a system. Not a systemic. Well, maybe ultimately yeah. in the system because of well, the whole prosecutorial misconduct bit of it. It's going to fix prosecutor, no, prosecutor misconduct but in that everywhere. county it might. Who knows? In that town, right? It right. Might. You're talking. About, it's a, the scale is different. But it's also making people aware, sort of, of in, sure. a, in a way that I think the suggestion box model maybe does. I don't know if you guys have any good suggestion box stories, but I remember once putting a suggestion from the box in my office and it was <laughs> read in front of the whole staff at an all staff meeting <laughs> and oh. it was dumb it was like we have two kitchens and I was like can we just put a microwave in the other kitchen aside from the main kitchen because like some people like there's a line at the microwave and then some people have to like walk down the hall to use the microwave and I didn't mean it like I'm lazy I meant it like you know just a traffic issue uh-huh. and then there was this whole discussion about like oh we're just so American. We need two microwaves. And I was like, fuck it. I am never suggesting anything ever again. It was <laughs> painful. So let's do what we do. Let's give this final episode of Serial Season 3 a grade. And then I, I kind of want you guys to just kind of give your overall thumbs up or thumbs down of the whole season of Serial now that it's over. Would you tell people who haven't checked it out to do so or people who perhaps gave up after an episode or two to check it out? Laura Bricker, I'd love to start with you uh, briefly. Thoughts on episode nine and then also thoughts on the season as a whole. What do you think? So episode nine, I liked this. I liked the way that there was continuity in the last two episodes and that it was somebody we really were rooting for. Um, so I would I would give that episode, the last episode, an A minus because it did sort of waver. It, it kind of went off track a little bit at the end for me. Overall, the season, I I feel very conflicted about this season because I feel like Serial does a very good job. Uh, You know, it's extremely well-produced and well-reported and well-researched, but I just felt like it was all over the place. Like, I felt like if we had had you know, six people in the criminal justice system and every episode we checked in and followed them so you had somebody to follow along with and you were following, like, stories that continued, I am going to say that's a thumbs up, Um, but but with caveats because this isn't the Serial that we heard before. What about you, Toby? Letter grade for the episode? Thumbs up or thumbs down for the whole season? What do you think? For the episode, you know, I think it's a B. Some of it was interesting. And then I think there was sort of an awkward tie-up. So, yeah, you know. And then for the whole thing, I just kind of feel like in the end, the whole was less than the sum of the parts. Mm. Like, I, I feel like each individual episode, you know, or at least the best ones, were better in isolation than they were within the context of the other episodes. So, you know, I think if you like averaged out all my grades for them, it would probably end up being like a B plus or something. You know, I can't say don't listen to it. Like I I can't see giving it a thumbs down on the surface. Everything is great. And Sarah's great and all this, you know, it's kind of like a mosaic that you don't have all the pieces to. So you get a basic idea of what it's going to look like, but you don't really have the full picture. So, yeah, I give it a thumbs up, but it's like highly qualified. I think it is one of the ones where you can say, listen to episodes two, four, eight, and nine, or I'm I'm not specifically saying those. Just <laughs> uh, and not missing those other episodes doesn't really impact yeah. the whole series. So anyway, you know, I'm with you. That's me. I, I'm a minus on this episode for all the reasons that you guys said. I am, if I were comparing this season of Serial to the previous two seasons, I would give it a thumbs down. Um, But comparing it to every other podcast in the world and other reporting that's being done, I mean, you can't say it's not good. It's good. So for that reason, it gets a thumbs up. It's a very, very conflicted thumbs up for me for this season of Serial. I think that 
Gosh, it just it 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 pains me to say it because you know this is like my favorite media product in the world. But if you think about the inconsistencies that were like really the, the one continuous theme here was inconsistency. We hear in episode one we're going to have a co-reporter, Emmanuel Jochi. We don't hear his voice yeah. until episode three, and then he completely disappears after episode six or seven. Uh, we hear that Sarah Koenig has been talking to the subject for a year and a half, yet we only get him for two episodes. And I bet if you combined all the tape we hear of her and him together on the phone, it would add up to something like 12 minutes. Um, we hear these incredible thematic potential that never sees its way through. We hear we're going to be bouncing around, but we don't really bounce around. We hear we're going to be in a courthouse, but we're not really in a courthouse. It's a very conflicted thumbs up for me. Thumbs up because I can't say it's bad, because it's not bad. Love the people who make it. Love the product. Love the the reporting. But as a series, ugh, I, <laughs> it's, a, yeah. it's, it's a very heavily qualified thumbs up for me. Kevin, what about you? See, I think what you just said, just underscores is what the problem that the audience has with cereal. It's that there's no pleasing everyone when it comes to cereal because it's always going to be compared to the other series. Like if you say, oh, well, look at she did this thing with uh, talking to a guy behind bars. Some people are like, oh, I wanted more of that. And then if you get more of that, people would say, oh, well, it's not a non. How come we don't have some more of this? And I want more of the judge. And where's all this other stuff? And it just seems like there's just, you know, there's just really no way of calling it serial and people being happy with it. That is the um, the cross it must bear. That is that is for all of its success. That is the thing. You can't have Citizen Kane part two. Right. And that's what people will always be looking for. Um, Empire so, Strikes Back. That was pretty damn good. Empire movie. Strikes Back is really good. <laughs> sure. And then you have the prequels. Right. And it's Godfather like, part two. Godfather Part Two, Godfather Four, not so much. Look, as far so, I would give this episode a B. It was good, but look, honestly, like nothing was really happening plot wise. It's just still talking on the phone, and something's gotta happen. But it's kind of away. From, we're away from the action. I did like the summing up at the end. I thought some of that was pretty good. Overall, I do give this a thumbs up. Uh, for this this season, but like if I had to give a grade for the whole season, I'd give it a B plus. I think the problem is that all the different pieces were very good, and I kept expecting because it's a hallmark of good writing, and this just never happened. Was I'll find a way to stitch all of these things together, the ideas and like the different cereal? threads, <laughs> like a cereal, <laughs> right? It's like this. It's like here's a plate of tomatoes, mm. and like eat that. It's like here's a plate of cucumbers, mm-hmm. yeah, and then here's a plate of lettuce, and eat that. <laughs> like here's some bacon bits, and it's like no, this all belongs in a fucking salad. <laughs> Why can't we just have the salad? You know, it's, it's deconstructed, Kevin. It's deconstructed. <laughs> well, construct it back together. That's the problem. I know they said we're going to break format. I know that I think it could have used a little bit of sort of reminding people this, but also not making them individual quilt patches that aren't ever stitched together. And that's what I would put in their suggestion box. Right. Although better than a suggestion box is a box that comes with Stuff from the tote. Yes. One of the most challenging aspects, of course, of shopping online is trying to commit to something without being able to put it on. That's right. Right? Because you're like, oh, I don't know if that's my sign. How am I going to fit it? Right. No wonder that women return 40 to 70% of the clothing that they buy. But thankfully, the tote has created their own universal sizing system to ensure you get clothes that fit you. Of course, the tote is the subscription service. You give them their measurements, 
and they try to figure out the clothes that you like to wear. Yep. Try it on, wear it to work. Don't even have to wash it. Put it back in the bag. They send you something new. Or keep it and buy it. Or keep it and buy it. When you're done, seal it, send it back. Like some of the things that you want to keep, send it all back. It's great. With Latote, you can rent unlimited fashion. You just wear it, return it, and discover fashion that fits you better. It'll take the stress out of getting dressed. Go to Latote.com. That's L-E-T-O-T-E.com to get started. Rebecca, give us an endorsement here. Do you love your Latote? I do love my Latote. I have to say I have so many like accessories, scarves, bags, blouses, skirts that I've kept from my Latotes. I really love the, the subscription. It's really fun. Okay, it's Latote, L-E-T-O-T-E dot com, and you use promo code CRIME at Crime. checkout to get 20% off your first month. Again, that's Latote.com, enter code CRIME. What else you got, Kevin? Well, thanks to two years of research and development and multiple improvements in design, performance, and comfort. Bombas socks got me. Bombas <laughs> socks are the most comfortable socks in the history of feet. That's why I'm wearing them right now, Kevin. Let me see. I love oh, yeah, the art support in the Bomba socks. You feel this part right here? I do. Where my plantar fasciitis is, it's being cradled yeah, right now. it's fantastic. It's an arch support system that provides extra support where you need it. And right here, this is this is the cushioned footbed. That and that the re- toe tab, or the, the heel tab that keep, prevents slippage are my two favorite features. Right, if you have the low-cut sock. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because you don't want it sliding into your boot no. or something over your heel. Yeah. And it's also, as you can feel, it's this super soft cotton material that makes you never want to take it off. Okay, touch it. Reach it. Yeah, there you go. You can reach your toes. Oh, that's cute. Congratulations, me. <laughs> so remember, if you're a uh, a runner, a lounger, a rage walker, there's a pair of Bombas that'll add comfort to your life. Go to bombas.com slash crime and use the code crime for crime. 20% off your first order. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash crime. Crime. Code crime. And you'll get 20% off your first order. And if you find all my missing single Bomba socks that went into the laundry and never came out, please let me know. Please let me know, because I really want it back. Well, I, I think they have gone to Bomba's heaven. Oh, no. That's a crime to lose a Bomba sock. I know. We lose a Bomba sock. Uh, well, it's we, just an opportunity to buy more Bomba socks. We all really. fight in our family because, like, the socks, you know, there's the, you know, the different sizes, but, like, there are ones that sort of, you know, you can really wear anybody's Bomba socks because they're like stretchy and comfortable. And we do fight over them. And like the orange ones tend to go missing I at an alarming rate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, one piece of business before we move on. I just want to let our listeners know we are taking this coming next week off for the Thanksgiving holiday. Here in the United States of America, uh, we love our Thanksgiving traditions, which is why Kevin and I are leaving the country and going to Canada. Going to Montreal. (laughs) (laughs) But no, we uh, are taking this coming week off. We will be back the week after Thanksgiving with a fresh new episode with some exciting content that we will determine right after we finish taping this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on. Amazon Prime has released its version of the hit podcast Homecoming. Instead of Katherine Keener and David Schwimmer in the lead roles, we instead get Julia Roberts and Bobby Cannavale. And it is a entirely sort of reimagination of the podcast about what is really happening to soldiers undergoing care at a mysterious, perhaps a little bit conspiratorial, homecoming transitional support center. You acknowledge that your participation in the homecoming transitional support center is voluntary and uncoerced. I just need you to verbally acknowledge that. Oh, yeah. Yes, I do. The first major TV adaptation of a podcast, Homecoming, has its own distinct visual and musical style and a plot that suddenly veers 
from the source material. There's just enough different about the TV series to keep fans of the podcast engaged. At least some of us think so. Now, we're going to be giving away plot points for Homecoming, so if you want to stay spoiler-free, go to our thumbs-up or thumbs-down review at the time code indicated in the show notes. Now, the TV series, um, it remains faithful to the podcast with the exception of investigator Thomas Carrasco. In the podcast, we hear him at the very beginning and then at the end rescuing Heidi. This time, though, this investigator's storyline is included. Heidi Bergman, correct? Yeah, do I know you? Um, I'm Thomas Carrasco with the Department of Defense. You were employed at the Homecoming Transitional Support Center. We received a complaint about that program. Kevin, what do you think of the addition of this character in the story? I think it was a good narrative addition. That way uh, you have something to go back and forth to. And it also sets up the difference between the past and the future or the present and the future or Mm. however you want to set that up. I love the visual technique. Talk about that for a second, the widescreen versus the square screen. Yeah, well, they close and and it, it ends up being very conspicuous. Because we don't see TV like that, you know. It's it, it looks like you know, somebody holding their iPhone, uh, you know, vertically Vertical versus horizontal. Yeah, so yeah. it was like all of a sudden you kind of catch on. Okay, when that those black bars are together, there we're looking into the future, and it was a good way of sort of setting the two apart without having to do something like in one he's got a mustache and the other he doesn't. You right. Know? Well, in the podcast, in the I, original series, I mean Heidi's hair is a little different, but that's too subtle. Yeah, she has two different wigs. But in the podcast, we were very impressed by the sound, the way they used sound for that. They did like the whoosh noise yep. to, to indicate past and future, yeah. and they had to do something to mirror that, I guess. Uh, Laura, I'm curious, you know, between Heidi, Walter, and Colin, the three main characters in the podcast and then also the TV show, what did you think of the comparisons between the podcast characters and TV versions? Which character is the most like the podcast version? Which is the least like? And how do you think they stacked up? God, this is like when I go to get my nails done and you have that thing where they have the dress that three people have worn and they're like, who did it better? <laughs> uh, you mean an Us Weekly? <laughs> yeah. Um, that was the thing that kind of threw me about the TV show was I just felt like, you know, I love Julia Roberts, but I didn't like her in this role. I really mm. liked Katherine Keener better as Heidi. I felt like she seemed, she just had sort of a different quality about her that was a little more vulnerable than Julia Roberts was. You know, I, I do miss Ross from Friends, but I, I tell you, I had this sort of like ongoing hatred of the guy that was playing Colin in the TV show. So I guess he did his job well. It's like when Winona Ryder was in Stranger Things and I was like, oh, she's driving me crazy. She's playing her part well. You know, I liked the guy who played Walter in the TV show. That one didn't strike me as much. I think the thing that really stuck with me the most was Julia Roberts as the main character. I just didn't really care for her in that role. So that sort of overshadowed everything else about the show for me. Yeah, I got to say, there are some issues with Julia Roberts in this role. Julia Roberts is obviously a very good and accomplished actress. But there are issues with her in this role that may have existed with Katherine Keener as well. It's kind of unclear because, let's be real, like Julia Roberts is in her 50s. And she's playing a woman, an inexperienced therapist who works as a waitress who is, you know, there's this mutual attraction between a returning soldier in his 20s. And yeah. there's a lot of wiggery. <laughs> and there's a yeah. lot of... There's a lot of frumpy clothes. Well, yeah, but there's just a lot of like Julia Robertsness that, you know, yeah. Catherine Keener brings sort of an organic, natural 
Uh, If you're going to replace her, I would have seen like I'd love to see like Catherine Hahn. You know who I mean, Kevin, the actress from Transparent. She would have been a great maybe potential screen replacement. But I also know that Julia Roberts is the one. She's the executive producer. Who backed an option this? Toby, what did you think of the of just like you know the physical comparison between? the TV show and the podcast. And I'm just going to let you just say for the record now, because I hinted at it in the intro, get the hate out right now, because I want to talk about other things besides your hate, about this adaptation of the TV show from the podcast. We're not just going to talk about my hate for the rest of this? No. (laughs) Um, As fun as that would be. So this is the kind of thing I should really like. Like, I like the sort of idiosyncratic sort of visual style which I thought I thought was really good in this. And I thought for the most part, like the music, you know, was interesting and good, except for Walter. And, and I think Walter is the one character who really changes quite a bit mm. because Walter in this is like a real sort of confident, laid back guy. And my memory of Homecoming, the podcast is that he's a little bit more antsy and nervous. Mm. And I think that kind of changes the dynamic a little bit. Because he always seems kind of in control, mm-hmm. even when we know that his his you know his mind is being manipulated. You know, I understand why, like a, she was a producer, but but b, you attach Julia Roberts to something, and that sort of guarantees it gets a lot of attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I understand the reason for doing that. I, I thought Catherine Keener is like seems perfect for that kind of role. Yeah. So why you would not let her do it on TV seems weird, and then. Bobby Cannavale or however you pronounce his name, like he basically seemed like he was trying to do an imitation of Ross from Friends. And <laughs> okay, David except Schubert. that he did it in the podcast. I don't know. I just got more of a feeling that, you know, Colin, he wasn't like a good guy, but you know, you could kind of like the pressure that he was always on under seemed to come through. And in this, he just seems to be just more or less a straight up nemesis. Right. And, and so I thought they lost a little bit of the sort of nuance and complication of his character. Yeah, I mean, this is maybe the first my first salvo in my sort of disappointment with all of this. Now, Kevin, tiny detail I want to mention: uh, mm-hmm. Dermot Mulrooney plays Julia Roberts' boyfriend oh slash ex boyfriend. Yeah, isn't it funny <laughs> to see them reunited from my best friend's wedding as no, a couple? No, next question. Okay, I, I do want to talk about <laughs> next question. Say a little prayer for you. <laughs> I do want to talk about the the soundtrack situation in the TV show, and one other interesting choice they make in the audio production of the TV show, which is to have all of the phone calls, which were critically important in the podcast plot advancement, to sound like phone tape. There we go. Can you? Hi, can you hear me? Hey, listen, honey, you're going to have to finish that, okay? Soon, Daddy has to get on this call. Listen, I, I, Colin, sorry. I, I didn't catch yeah, that. It's okay, I'm home. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, it's my little girl's birthday today, so, you know, not really something I could push. No, of course not. <laughs> oh. The typical treatment would be to pan back and forth one person to the other with a camera, which they do, and then just play them both in person, like on their ends of the phone yeah. call. Yeah, it's not like unique or anything. It was I a didn't... weird choice, though, to like go I... straight to phone tape so sound, wasn't it? No, not really. I thought it was it's weird. It's not the most unique thing about the, about the soundscape. Well, let's yeah. talk about the soundtrack then, because that might be the most unique thing. This is an entirely recycled soundtrack. Producers scored the series from other films, like Hitchcock films like Vertigo. Uh, the French Connection was used, The Andromeda Strain, and in a scene from an early episode, that totally freaked me out because I knew the music but couldn't place it. It turns out it was from the soundtrack from Chariots of Fire, 
by oh. Van by Van Gallus, the 1980s soundtrack. I'm just gonna play a clip of that right here. So when you really get to know a person, you know, you're forced to be yourself or as close to your real self as you can be in front of another person. You have no choice. Kevin, what did you think of this entirely recycled soundtrack idea? Even without the, knowing that it was recycled, which I figured out later by doing a little research, I thought it was great because it had this big orchestral feel to it, and it certainly played into this look. It, I said, oh, this seems very Stanley Kubrick to me, the whole thing. And then the music, which was all all these big 70s films, you know, listen to a lot of audio from Law and & Order. Mm. And the dramatic stuff is like this tone. Oh, you know, it just it, that shows you that something, you know, horrible is or dramatic is about to happen. Here you have like this full orchestra with all sorts of different, you know, instruments doing different things and just creating this big sound. And I guess what they did was they didn't like just pull the audio tape. They had to go and find the the sheet music and get the rights, which was very different difficult because in in 40 or 50 years no one's asked for it, but uh you know, definitely there were a couple of things I'm like, oh, man, that's Vertigo. It's yeah. just like Hitchcock. But it was a yeah. choice. And it was. And there were a couple of visuals, too, like the scene with the stairs. Where they're the going stairs. down. That was a Vertigo shot. There was a couple of recreated shots. I thought that was a really interesting choice to take this material and do that with it. And I feel like it's disconcerting at the start. But there's absolutely no other TV show on television no. that has that sound to and it. And I think that's one of the things that contributed to one of this TV show's strengths, or at least to me, and I think to Laura... This was very bingeable, right, Laura? Oh, absolutely. I have to. Tell, I watched maybe like the first two episodes um, with Fireman Ken, and then I just went rogue um, last Saturday. I, I don't know what he was off doing, but um, he might have been blowing leaves. And I just sat down and watched like all the episodes in one day because they were short. Yeah, you know, all the episodes were anywhere from like twenty-five to thirty-one minutes, and so it just like you just, oh, I'll just watch another one. Well, I'll just watch another one. And the next thing I know, I'm like, oh, my God, it's like five o'clock. I've been sitting here all day. And I haven't done that in a while. But they were. They were just the whole series just had such an interesting feel. And the lighting that they used was very interesting as well. You know, everything had this sort of like green, yellow sort of tinge to it. Did you guys notice that? Yes. Well, there was also yellow elements in a lot of scenes. There was something yellow in almost every single shot, something bright yellow, a stapler, a banana uh, in the laundromat, a yellow stripe. It was Mm -hmm. always like a sort of bluish gray scene, but then with one yellow element. And I... I'm like, they're trying to tell us something with yellow, but I don't know what it is. I don't want to get like weirdly like green light here. It's a but, like, message, Rebecca. Clearly it meant something. Um, but I sort of have a bigger question, and I think this is something we talked about when the podcast came out like a little bit, just about sort of the premise here. We have a company who has a homecoming program that's like being funded by the government as a contract. And essentially the premise of the program is to soothe uh, homecoming soldiers enough that you can just send them right back out again. You think they're coming home, but then they end up sending redeployed. It sounds sinister, but given what's actually happening in the world right now, do you think, Toby, that this is a sinister enough plot to make us as truly horrified as we're supposed to be and as Julia Roberts' character is, which you find out what's going on? I'm not saying it's not sinister. Don't get me wrong. I think if this existed in real life, it would be super shitty and awful and would probably get a couple of front-page New York Times stories. But is it sinister enough or is it a little too, like, three days of the condor familiar to 
take us over that line where we're like shocked as an audience. Right. It's like, is the reveal big enough? For me, the whole kind of general plot is kind of meh. You know, it just seems like kind of a a typical plot that you can do a lot of stuff with. And it's more a matter of what, what do you do with it? Like you can make it. That's a premise you can make shocking. I don't think they really do it here. I, I think in concept it's fine. It's not so provocative in itself. Like I think you have to do something with it. And I think that's kind of where they kind of lean on it more than they should have. Mm. Does that make sense? It does. And you also, by the way, I should just give you a plug. You think the dialogue is terrible in this TV show. I think the dialogue is so bad. (laughs) Um, It's just, it's weird. And then it's also kind of strangely mannered. And especially at the beginning, and I don't know if I just kind of got used to it and didn't notice it anymore, but people will say something and then somebody will be like, what? Hmm. And it's like, no, dude, it's completely clear from the context what <laughs> what they said. Like, you don't have to say that. And if, even if it was like one person, that was like their little tick. But it's like everybody's always like, what? Who? Yeah. Why? Shire's a good guy. It's just things that work well for him over there that don't work as well here, you know? But keep that in mind, right? Who? It's like, <laughs> fucking just pay attention. <laughs> this, this is not the way people talk. You know, I, I realize you're trying to go for a feel or something. But it's just not working at all. So anyway, I, I found that like incredibly distracting. And then all the stuff about like, there's this one part where Walter's talking about like going on a road trip and the wind and the hair. And I'm just like, this is just fucking bullshit. <laughs> That's this very so much bad. from the podcast, though. Let's say we're taking a road trip somewhere. Who is? We are. Mm-hmm. Okay. Where are we going? How about Yosemite? And then that's like the part they replay when she's like listening to the to the tape. I'm just like, my God, this is you picked the worst piece of his entire dialogue to like call attention to again. So what did you think of Titanic Rising? (laughs) Titanic Rising. Yes. Ten times better than Titanic. And what's so awful about Dermot Mulroney? I mean, he's just fine. He's He's, fine. He's perfectly fine. He's kind of whiny. He was kind of whiny. Who would date that? Who would date that? I mean, he's Please. just like, like there's no, it's, he's not like, he's, he's not like, he's not like realistic as like somebody she would have had any kind of affection for. Mm. I mean, he's just annoying. So there's yeah. no emotional consequence to her cutting him loose. Yeah. Well, we also get, you know? we, get we get Sissy Spacek, the character. Uh, who I know. I don't think was, I don't think her mom was in the podcast. Yeah. No, her mom, her mom was, was in a nursing home oh, in the podcast. Right. And yeah, so there was a couple things that I noticed. So the mom was in a nursing home and much more incapacitated in the podcast. And also Walter's mom didn't actually appear until season two right. in the podcast. And this, you know, here she's inserting herself in, in early on the stages, actually breaking in, which is amazing that she found her way to this facility. So they, I think they updated some of the plot that didn't move along quite as quickly in the podcast, right. kind of altered a little for the TV show. Right. But also, I will agree with Toby. The one like thing that was like discordant to me was that Walter seemed fine, <laughs> like throughout this whole season. Yeah, we see him lose his memory, but we also don't see him as particularly fractured to begin with. And yet, his mom no. is talking about him as if he's completely broken. And I'm like, I don't know. He seems okay to me. Yeah. <laughs> Super well adjusted, <laughs> you know, for somebody who's gone through everything he's gone through. And I felt like they also upped the the romance between the two of you them, think? which wasn't well. <laughs> A lot. 
Because it was like hinted at a little bit in the podcast, but it was different. This one, I was like, oh my God, enough already. Like that wasn't the gist of the podcast. No, it really wasn't. And to me, that was a distraction too. Now, Kevin, uh, about halfway through the TV adaptation, they actually diverge from the plot of the podcast. There's a a sex scene between Colin and Julia Roberts. I was like, what? And then there's also, which by the way, is... I watch enough SVU to know that if you have sex with someone who doesn't remember who you are, but you know who they know who you are, that is not okay. Olivia Benson <laughs> would not approve. Yeah, that's um, why all of a sudden they crossed that line. But then also, this has an ending. Yep. In a way, season one was clearly designed to go to a season two of the podcast, but I hear there may or may not be a season two. There is of, a season two of Homecoming, the TV show. Yeah. But this could end here. It could, yeah. This could be the. What do you think of the ending of the TV show? Well, I think a lot of people are are debate the ending about what this means. And this is, as we recall, Walter was he living under the name Walter or whatever? He was in California, building his cabin. He was in California, building his cabin, and he happens to see Heidi and has a little quick conversation with her where it appears I mean she knows who he is, but he doesn't seem to know who she is. It ends up she realizes that she isn't going to reveal who she is. Just kind of check on him to see he's okay and, and maybe Love go him. on. Yeah, and, and he goes on. Um, maybe he could be her super young boyfriend. Right, and so the question is like, did he know <laughs> or not? Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that the key that he knew who Heidi was was the fact that he turned the fork in front of her. Because as you recall, she was always, right from the very first scene, she was always straightening out the stuff stapler. on the desk, yep. right? And he goes and would move the pen, and that's how he got her with the glue, right? So by moving the fork was his way of indicating without having to say anything that he knows who she was. But why? I mean, I will say to Toby's defense, I mean, I, I'm going to give, about to give this a thumbs up because I really liked it, but like in Toby's defense, like, why would he not just say, I know who you are, and that low stakes? Because it's dangerous. But they're just in a diner. I don't know. It's not, how is it dangerous? Isn't he sort of living off the that grid? She took the doctored knocky too. <laughs> she ate the pasta. Yeah. <laughs> it's the, the forbidden knocky. dance of love. <laughs> <laughs> it's seduction. I mean, he's not just having a girlfriend who's 30 years older than he is. I don't know. No, it's, it's fucking, it doesn't mean anything. It's yeah. stupid. <laughs> it's just a stupid ending. It's a stupid, it's just one of those things. <laughs> where it's like, oh, you know what? We'll have it and they don't need each other. But at the end, you know what we'll do? We'll just twist the fork a little bit so that it leaves a little question in your mind. It's like, you know what? You know, maybe she, when she was like emoting, she'd like knocked it slightly with her elbow. <laughs> you know, it's, it's stupid. Well, they, uh-huh. they were trying to do the Inception ending, right? With the top. And it's like, yeah, is that real or isn't real? Yeah, that's what that is, yeah. But I kind of liked it better when he was on like the bus driving around with all the other veterans. That's anyway. true. That's true. And then joined the weird cult, right? Yeah. Yeah, in the pocket. <laughs> what happened to that? Now he's just in a cabin, like HGTV? Listen, what, in, season, in season two, we're going to get the HGTV version of Walter building his deck. That's okay. what it's yeah, going to be. Maybe right. he's got a tiny house he's for Becca. He's a longer ex- <laughs> extension cord for his electric drill. <laughs> All right. Well, let's do what we do. <laughs> and I can't wait to hear Toby's assessment. Yeah. Let's give our listeners the thumbs up or thumbs down review of Amazon's adaptation of Homecoming the Podcast, the first premium premium TV adaptation of a premium podcast. Laura Bricker, do you give Homecoming the TV show a thumbs up or thumbs down and briefly explain why? I'm going to give it thumbs up because there were differences from the podcast. There were things I didn't like, but at the same time, 
It was very watchable. It was very interesting. I love that the guy that's the investigator from the inspector general guy, I love that he kind of takes on, you know, he definitely took a bigger role on. He was much more of a hero in this. I was rooting for him. It's it's a good show. Like, you know what? We're having a big snowstorm here in New Hampshire this weekend. Um, load up your Amazon Prime and watch it. What about you, Toby? Thumbs up or thumbs down <laughs> or thumbs extra down for the Amazon TV adaptation of the podcast Homecoming. You know, this is one of those things where I think a lot of thought and effort went into certain aspects of it, and then other parts of it just sucked. So it looks okay. great. You know, there, there's some things that, about it that are, are, are pretty cool, but it's just not good. Mm. Like, you compare it to most of the stuff that we've reviewed of, like, sort of prestige, you know, drama and this is like much worse than any of that stuff, in my opinion. <laughs> so I I give it a thumbs down. And, and part of it, I think, is my sort of frustration with it is that it should have been so much better. Like, this is the kind of thing that I usually love. Mm. Like, it just progressively got worse. And then by the last two episodes, I'm like, I just got to fucking get through these last two things. Mm just so I can talk about the whole thing. And those are the worst two of the whole thing. Mm. So anyway, thumbs down. (gasps) (laughs) My heart. Um, I'm going to give it a thumbs up. I really liked it. I mean, I got to say there are, it's not perfect. Um, It's quirky. It's weird. But it's also one of the first dramas I've ever seen where the episodes are like 22 minutes long. And I think that in itself is interesting. I don't know how I would feel about it if I hadn't listened to the podcast. I would love to hear from people who had never heard the podcast but only watched a TV show and see what they thought because they might just be like, oh, this is super fucking weird. I don't know. Um, but Kevin, you and I, I found it very bingy. And even if something isn't great, when I want to watch the next episode, that to me pushes it way into thumbs up category automatically. Because even if I can see things that are glaringly weird or glaringly wrong or glaringly off, bottom line is if it, you hit stop and you want to hit play again, it's a thumbs up. And that's how I felt about this series. I found it bingeable. I found it fun. I loved the scoring. I don't know. I just really liked it. Homecoming is a big thumbs up for me. What about you, Kevin? Yeah, I'm a thumbs up. I definitely liked it. Um it had a really unique visual style. It sounded different than just about anything that I've listened to in a long time. The story is, is really interesting. It's why it was a, a great podcast. And it decided, you know, at what point it wanted to veer off and do something a little different with the characters. And I still think it all worked. And I'm, um, you know, I, I, I think I'll watch season two when it comes out. Absolutely. You know, they certainly could have avoided a lot of that trouble, though. If instead of eating that gnocchi, that was none of you can pronounce that. It's hilarious to me. Gnocchi, <laughs> you're all wrong. Gnocchi. <laughs> Keep going. If it, instead of eating that pasta, <laughs> the potato pasta, the potato pasta, mm, yeah, with all of those secret government drugs inside. Yes, they had just something fresh and clean and healthy like Daily Harvest. Oh, perfect. Daily Harvest delivers perfectly portioned cups of frozen organic fruits and vegetables directly to your door. These pineapples, remember think about the pineapples? Delicious. Pineapples are in this. Yep. How's that, Walter? Pineapples in the Daily Harvest. Uh, all you have to do is add your favorite milk or just even water. Just put it in the cup, blend it, heat it. 
You can enjoy the smoothies, their harvest bowls, all these wonderful things. Rebecca, what is your favorite flavor? The avocado cacao. I'm on record for that. It's a delicious smoothie. It's my favorite one. And you take it to work, have it for breakfast. It's great breakfast, for snack lunch, or meal. Breakfast, lunch. It's delicious. I use coconut milk, by the way, for the record. All right. Thumbs up for that? Huge thumbs up. Uh, go to daily-harvest.com and enter promo code CRIME, crime. to get three cups free in your first box. That's promo code CRIME, crime. for three free Daily Harvest cups at daily-harvest.com. Daily. DashHarvest.com. What else you got, Kevin? Well, when I'm having a wonderful meal of uh, potato pasta yes. in the secret government okay? cafeteria, <laughs> yes, it needs to have a great pairing of a wine. Ooh. And that's where First Leaf comes in. I love First Leaf. First Leaf is an online wine club that's putting a stop to boring wine buying and helping you discover your favorite new wines. You just took a sip of wine. I did. Uh, Loudly. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering what that sound was. <laughs> Look, you know when you go to like Thanksgiving dinner and people are bringing wines and everybody's passing stuff around. You'll and you're win. Like this. You bring yeah, your, you will yeah. win. But how do you know what you like? You know, the, the kinds of things. First Leaf helps you do that because they will have you go and rate. Just thumbs up, thumbs down the bottle that they sent you. Win you, at your holiday party. So you go thumbs up, thumbs down on these bottles. It's the kinds of things that you like. And the more things that you put thumbs up to, they give you more bottles like that. So when you do go to a holiday, you can say, look, here you go. This is a bottle of wine that I really like. Uh, try First Leaf Wine Club today where buying great wine is simple. By the way, First Leaf says that you never have to worry about spending money on a bad bottle of wine because they guarantee that you'll love it or they will give you your money back. So sign up with our personal link and you'll get an exclusive intro offer. That's three bottles of wine for only $15 plus free shipping. That's not all. If you rate these three wines, you're going to get an extra $10 off your next box. Good Go deal. to tryfirstleaf.com slash crime. Crime. To try First Leaf, go to tryfirstleaf.com slash crime. Crime. What else you got, Kevin? Well, the average American blasts their eyes with bright screens for 11 hours every day. Not good. Doesn't matter. Even if you have a vacation, folks, you're probably watching football in front of those big screens. Gives you lots of headaches. Well, you really can't stop looking at the screens, but you can protect your eyes with a pair of Felix Grey glasses that are available now with or without a prescription. Felix Grey glasses filter out about 90% of high energy blue light and eliminate the glare coming off of all those screens. So that means no more tired, dry eyes, blurry vision, or headaches. And Felix Grey glasses are available in non-prescription and readers and also prescriptions as well. You get free shipping and free return, so there's really nothing to lose. I like my Felix Grey glasses. I wear them to work. Rebecca, you're wearing one right now. I'm wearing them right now. Perfect. We're surrounded by screens. We got two screens going right here. Low light. Don't want to strain the eyes. That's why we have Felix Grey. You can get them, too, by going to felixgrayglasses.com slash crime. Crime. To protect your peepers today, that's felixgrayglasses.com slash crime. Crime. felixgrayglasses.com slash crime. Crime. Do they make those serial killer glasses at Felix Gray? You know the ones I mean? The <laughs> big thick ones? <laughs> you know that shape? Dim. The ones that's like the pilot yeah. shape, except like thick and weird. Yeah, the 70s, All right. yeah. And now it's time for my favorite part of this podcast, a little something I like to call the crime, crime of the week. Crime of the week. <laughs> <laughs> this story hit close to home for police in Vienna, Virginia. 
Gosh, I feel like if you're a cop, you should tune out right now. <laughs> Authorities are looking for the person who dumped an entire trash bag full of donuts into an unsuspecting man's truck bed. The official report says, quote, the officer was upset to discover the donuts were no longer edible. <laughs> That's what the report said. The donut dump was not without consequences. Wild animals got into the pile and left a trail of sugar-covered goodness all the way to a storm drain. The perpetrator or perpetrators have not been apprehended. So my question for you, panel, what's the next thing that's going to happen on this pastry perps crime spree? Laura Bricker, I'm going to start with you. I can tell you what's not going to happen on their crime spree. They are not going to come to my little country store and take any of the scones and do anything with them. (laughs) I am going to use my newfound boxing skills and bop them right out. That's what I have to say about that. All right. Well, tell me about what do you think? What is the next thing that's going to happen on this pastry perps crime spree? I just I don't have a good answer to this at all. Mm. Uh, Sorry, I fail. Think think something about coffee. (laughs) Do that. I was thinking about coffee. All right. right, I was thinking something about like like coffee and then uh, like locking all the bathroom stalls. (laughs) That's perfect. Kevin, what about you? What do you think is next for this pastry perps crime spree? Muffin stumps, <laughs> obviously. Uh, yes. Maybe that's Toby's next jury duty service. <laughs> the muffin stump taking trial. <laughs> well, we should probably end it on that note, but Laura Bricker, before we do, do we have a cat slash dog slash pet of the week this week? Um, we have many pets of the week um, this week because I, I have to say, I know you guys have also been watching the news. I'm absolutely just devastated by watching all the wildfires in mm, California. Yeah. Yep. And all the pets, and I—it's I, so hard to look at some of the videos and pictures. There was like a horse in a swimming pool that basically survived because it jumped in a swimming pool. So I, I think this week those those animals are are animals of the week, and there's some organizations that are helping them um, as of. Yesterday, the North Valley Animal Disaster Group has taken in 1,365 animals. And you can go to their website and make a donation to help them out with um, helping those animals. Well, I just want to say we have many, many listeners who've been affected in California by the wildfires. I want to give a special shout out to Foxy, Aaron Fox, huge fan of the show who we've you know met in person and... You know, she was both affected by the nightclub shooting and the wildfires. And we've been thinking of you and of all of our listeners affected by the wildfires. So we're with you guys and be safe and keep those pets safe if you can. And let us know how we can help, if at all. Now, Laura Bricker, if uh, people want to reach out to you with their pets of the week, how can they find you on Twitter? Uh, you can find me at Laura Bricker. Tell me, Paul, people want to reach out to you and give you shit about the fact that you hated a TV show that we all seem to like. How can they find you on Twitter? They can bring it on at Toby Ball and H. <laughs> and Kevin Flynn, if want to reach out to you and just give you a little kiss or something, how can they find you online? Uh, you can kiss me at Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. You can also follow the show at Crime Writers On. And you can join the amazing community of folks at the official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. Go to our website, sign up for our newsletter, support the show on patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You'll get access to the Balls Deep Dive Book Club podcast. We are, of course, talking about Homicide, A Life in the Killing Streets, Kevin's all-time favorite true crime book this month. You can also get access to Laura's rage-walking Facebook fun fitness true crime group. 
You can get a free month of Stitcher Premium at stitcherpremium.com slash crime and use the code crime. You'll get married with podcast, yada, yada, yada. I'm still thinking of the fire people, I got to say, and this all seems a little bit lame compared to how much I care about them. So I just have to say this. On behalf of everyone at Partners in Crime Media, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Later. Hey, Toby, there you are. You can hear me? Oh my God, he's like so loud. Is that why you did your whole Facebook Live with no audio? <laughs> Wait, what? Your whole Facebook Live, there was no audio. I, I know. <laughs> Hold on. So, you can hear me now? Yes, but you're way limited Wow, out. you're super loud. You're like... Wow. Well, go ahead and delete that video from our Facebook page, yeah. shall we? So people don't think we're... Oh, wait, I didn't say that word. <laughs> yeah, take that off. You take it off. You're the one who put it off. Oh, I have to take it off? <laughs> Look at all these people are commenting on me now. <laughs> oh, no, Toby. And it's not like there's a lot of visual action going on. <laughs> He's like it's in his like, comfy sweatshirt, <laughs> getting ready for a snow day tomorrow. I'm being sultry. Sultry? I'm being sultry. <laughs> There's nothing better than a Facebook Live from a podcaster whose microphone does not work. Having to commit to a piece without trying it on first can make online shopping tricky. Thankfully, LaTote makes sure that you get the right styles and the right sizes delivered. Then when you're done, you just send them back. With LaTote, you can rent unlimited fashion. Just wear, return, and discover fashion that fits you better. It'll take the stress out of getting dressed. Go to LaTote.com. That's L-E-T-O-T-E.com to get started. And enter promo code CRIME at checkout to get 20% off your first month. Again, that's LaTote.com. Enter code CRIME. CRIME. This podcast was sponsored by Wild Fang, a feminist fashion brand that's here to take down the patriarchy Say what? and is committed to giving back. Wild Fang is female-founded and women-run, offering gender-smashing styles that borrow from the boys. A percentage of every purchase at wildfang.com goes to charity, and they raise so much money each year to fight for your rights, Kevin. Go to wildfang.com and use crime for 25% off. That's wildfang.com and use code crime. Crime.